Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom. Listen, the 1990s were a weird time for everyone, George Lucas included. Keywords from George's life in this period include pod racing, musicals, dinosaurs, and billions of dollars. That's some strange magic indeed. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, guys. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and I'm laughing over the ridiculous prologue that I wrote for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Charlotte was like, what did you write (laughs) before we started? And I was like, "Uh, listen, I started – I wrote this prologue right before I ate lunch, and I was really hungry, and um, it was a little weird. So, uh, Caitlin, Caitlin and I, I'm sure you guys have noticed, we switch off who says the prologue. And honestly, Caitlin usually writes her prologues just because I think that she's like a little snappier with that kind of stuff. I'm a little more like historical, <laughs> and a little bit more like melodramatic. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this one, Caitlin just like really went for the quirky, which is fine. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's Strange magic is quirky, so I feel like we just had to pull out – like, this whole period in George's life is a little all over the place, so. I love it. I mean, <laughs> the the prologue says so much. Pod racing, musicals, dinosaurs, money. I mean, mm-hmm. what more What more could a prologue ask for? That's what we're in when we talk about the prequel era. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this is this is our final part of our By George series. And it's kind of sad that we're here. It's gone by so fast. I know. But I'm really proud of it. And I'm really excited to to, like get into this last discussion about honestly my favorite George Lucas era. It's it's an interesting era. I found when I was reading through the book, I I was like feeling very sad for George Lucas. (laughs) I know. Me too. But obviously we love this era of Star Wars because this is this is our time. This is our time to shine as Star Wars fans. Yes, exactly. But before we dive into George Lucas, let's talk about San Diego Comic-Con. I know on the last show we had talked about the Clone Wars was coming back and we were so excited. We're still so excited. But the like other pieces of every yeah, tears. Time we talk about it excited. <laughs> Literally. Like the Star Wars show, I cried. Oh god. <laughs> I'm a mess <laughs> with this whole thing. I know. Same, same as we we just um, we recorded our Patreon episode as well, where we went a lot more in depth into talking about our hopes for both Clone Wars and the Padme book, as well as the Obi Wan book that is coming out, which we're real. I'm so excited, you guys! If you're interested in our thoughts, you can head over to our Patreon because I I went hardcore on this like intense head canon I have about the Obi Wan book. So if you're interested at all in that, you could go check it out. <laughs> Besides that, I am just so unbelievably thrilled that we're getting a Padme book. I It's like all the dreams that mm-hmm. ever came true. I'm just so excited. I, I really can't believe it. And I'm, I feel like I've like been all over social media talking about how excited I am 
And it's just like everything I ever wanted. And I cannot wait to dive in. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really excited for this one. I was telling Charlotte that I think this is like her Padme like sweet spot is this period in time for Padme that the book is going to be about. And it's just it's it's going to be fantastic. I'm really excited. Me too. Me too. And then Claudia Gray's Obi-Wan book. I think Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon book. I can't forget Qui-Gon. I, I think <laughs> no, it's going to be a really interesting exploration of time before The Phantom Menace. And I am, I'm really excited to get Claudia Gray back into the Star Wars writing sphere. It's, mm-hmm. She's my favorite and I'm just so pumped. Oh Lots of good things coming down the line. And speaking of the next thing coming down the line, our next episode is going to be all about drumroll Ahsoka. Um, this is something – an Ahsoka episode is something Charlotte and I literally talked about when we started Sky Talkers. It was always our temp episode. Like when we were talking about how we would format episodes or how we would discuss things, we would always use Ahsoka as our example, um, mm-hmm. which is so funny because we never have actually done an episode devoted to Ahsoka, despite her being our like template <laughs> for the podcast in the in the early days as they were. So I'm I'm super pumped to be doing an episode about her. Yeah, me too. And I think in order – it's taken us so long to get to this point, like Caitlin just said, um, for an Ahsoka episode. And we just really want to make it special and kind of do this amazing character justice. And that means that I'm going to ask for some submissions. Um, we kind of want to know what Ahsoka means to you and what her character has inspired in her in your life. Um, send us any of your thoughts at skytalkerspodcast at gmail.com. And we will also accept audio files. I, I just really want to compile um, some of the – the things that really make people love Ahsoka and what they respond to about this character. I think it's going to be, it's going to be really fun to discuss her kind of exclusively. So it's going to be fun. She's such an interesting character because she's, she's seen so much. (laughs) She really has. She's seen, she's seen so much. Um, So I was, I was getting a little, angsty today because I was I saw a, a fan art of Ahsoka and Baby Ben Solo and I was just thinking about the fact that there's a very good chance that they could have actually met and that just blows my mind. <laughs> um, so it's going to be fun to talk about her next week. Yes, so please send us all of your submissions about Ahsoka. You can also send them to us on our Twitter at SkytalkersPod. Um, you know where to find us, but we would really love to hear all about why you love Ahsoka. So please send them our way. Yes. And let's jump in and talk about George Lucas because we have a lot of ground to cover. Yes. So in part one, we're going to be talking about the theme of creation. And in part two, we're going to be talking about the theme of retouching. In part three, we're going to be talking about the theme of letting go. So without further ado, let's get started. When I finished the first trilogy, I figured that was the end of Star Wars. Uh, That's what I set out to do when I finished it. And uh, at that time, uh, I was a, a new father and I'd just been divorced, and I was sort of determined that what I was going to do was stop everything and raise my, raise my daughter. So I changed my life goals at that point, and um, and you know produced a few films and and ran the companies that I had and did a TV series which I enjoyed, uh, and generally just did things that were less stressful than actually directing a movie. Then I reached a point where my son, uh, after adopting two more kids. Uh, my son was old enough, he was about five years old, that I thought I could go back and um, direct again. 
And uh, so then I was sort of faced with this decision about what I was going to do. Was I going to go back uh, and finish the kinds of movies and do the kinds of movies that I had started out doing, which was sort of the where I would have gone if I hadn't gone to American Graffiti and if I had continued the THX idea, the sort of San Francisco avant-garde scene, you know, the more pure cinema, the more visually oriented kinds of films. Uh, or would I go back at that point and finish Star Wars, do this this backstory, which I never really intended to do and wasn't written as a movie and which technically couldn't be done when I finished uh, Return of the Jedi. But now, you know, 15 years later, uh, I had the technology. ILM had developed uh, digital technology to a point after Jurassic Park that I could actually consider doing some of the things that were uh, thought about in the backstory. And so I said, well, do I finish Star Wars or do I go off and do these other things? Um, you know, I knew if I went off and did these other things, I'll probably never go back to Star Wars and that would be the end of it. Uh, but um, in the end, I said it, was, it would be an interesting challenge to take the, uh, the, the medium into this adventure land of pushing it in ways it hadn't been done that I'd been wanting to do in the first ones, to be able to have the medium meet, meet my imagination. Because the medium, you know, when you're doing science fiction and fantasy films, you're always bumping up against the technology. Uh, all art is technology, and all artists eventually end up pushing against that technology. Part 1, Creation Star Wars wasn't over, and things like Timothy Zahn's now Legends novelizations and new video games were here to prove that. There was always a glimmer among fans, though, a hope that we'd see future Star Wars episodes, a hope that George would return to Star Wars. So when George finally announced he'd be developing the prequel trilogy, fans were ecstatic. The development of the prequels is riddled with its own fascinating history. George holed up in the ranch finishing the drafts of The Phantom Menace. George literally inventing the camera and technology and pushing employees of Industrial Light and Magic and Lucasfilm to invent the wheel of digital characters like Jar Jar Binks. George finally hoping to push the filmmaking medium as far as he possibly could, where no one had gone before. George single-handedly ushered in the revolution of digital filmmaking. Touting the digital format with every project and encouraging thousands of theaters to become outfitted with the proper technology. Attack of the Clones was the first big-budget film to be filmed exclusively in digital. Think about it. I assure you that most people regularly attend a movie theater that purely screens digitally. Film projectors are now nearly a thing of the past. For better or for worse, you can be the judge. That's the George Lucas effect. It's no secret either that the prequels were critiqued and received poorly, but there's absolutely no denying the impact the prequels had on filmmaking. In a lot of ways, the prequels represent the pinnacle of what George was attempting to build, his own working production company and everything created under his eye. When the films were complete, however, George still had many ideas of his Star Wars universe, the universe that he could never really shake. Enter the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars and the prequels, more than just a story era, go hand in hand. If the prequels invented the wheel of digital filmmaking, the Clone Wars invented the wheel of 3D animation in a 26-episode weekly story format. So we talk a lot about the prequels here on Sky Talkers, and it's really no secret that we love them. It's like our bread and butter of Star Wars. Um, but a huge reason and a huge part of the reason why we love them, besides the fact that they deepen the mythology on a story level, it's because of the innovation that went on behind the scenes. I just kind of want to ask, like, what is it that's so endearing about this this part of George Lucas to us? 
I don't know. It's kind of like this underdog story about he's just constantly pushing the envelope and constantly doing what he wants to do. That was something I was really struck by in this period of George's life is that he actually had a lot of failures, a lot of things that a lot of films that weren't well received, but he was still doing all of these super innovative things and always trying something new, um, even if it didn't work, which I I think is really interesting because when you kind of compare the number of critical successes to critical failures George Lucas has had as a filmmaker, it he's had more failures than successes, um, mm-hmm. at least like through critics' eyes. That's not counting like nostalgia factor or just I think it's a fun movie kind of thing. Or even money. Yeah, or even, or even money. Um, and because a lot of his films outside of Star Wars did not make any money, but he – just kept pushing forward. And that's incredible to me um, because I can't imagine the that kind of failure on such a massive scale that many times, honestly, and, and continuing to go and not only continuing to make new films, but continuing to evolve the technology and insist that his way was the right way and this was the way of the future for filmmaking. Um, I think that's – I don't know. That's really admirable in a weird way for as much as like people talk about how George Lucas is super controlling and he's not great with actors and George Lucas is not a perfect person. And in a, in a weird way, I'm kind of glad that the star Wars fandom recognizes that (laughs) maybe sometimes too much (laughs) and they can be kind of mean about it, but um, he's not a perfect person and he has a lot of flaws, but he also has a lot of really great insight. He's incredibly intelligent and has really good intuition about things. And technology in this period of time especially was where he really excelled. It's really just so remarkable. I mean, we didn't we mentioned it in the prologue when Caitlin had said dinosaurs, but <laughs> Jurassic Park was um the first time I, I correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it was like it was really the pinnacle of the beginning of digital characters being animated and interspersed with like live action and in an action movies. Mm-hmm. And that was ILM. And that was basically they were going up. The people that were working at ILM. It's a really interesting story. The history of Jurassic Park is like really fascinating in the same way that almost like Star Wars, like was all these things coming together to make a perfect movie. I think the same could possibly be said about Jurassic Park. Um, but like th- two things were going on in Jurassic Park where there was um audio animatronics that they were you know really trying to use and then in the in the corner there were these people who were really pushing for digital technology and those people were industrial light and magic and george George, yes and so i mean it wasn't george like on the computer coding it wasn't but it was pushing for those kind of technologies and realizing that this is the future it's not these expensive audio animatronics it is digital imaging and that is so fascinating to me. And Jurassic Park was, it was released in 1993. So I think this was around 1992. And obviously we know that The Phantom Menace came out in 1999. And so this was years before. And all these little things made George Lucas realize that he could potentially return to Star Wars in the prequel sense and make them the way that he wanted them to, to be made. And it is remarkable to me how much he pushed the digital filmmaking sphere in, 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 making sure that uh, theaters were able to accommodate this sort of technology. And it took a while, um, even 
you know, they filmed Attack of the Clones completely in the digital format, but some theaters had to convert it back to film in order to play it, which, you know, distorted the quality. And I think that's a little, it's a little funny to me just because it's a little like George still set out on this mission to make a digital film and it was reverted back to, to, <laughs> to film. But, um, it, it, George still like held that this was the future. And obviously we know now, and, and we mentioned in that little history section that most of the theaters that you guys go to at this point are all digital. Most films are screened digitally. Mm-hmm. And even if they're filmed on film, it is converted for digital. And all of that is because of George Lucas and pushing theaters in the similar way that he pushed his THX um, sound program for theater so that they were well adjusted to produce the best sound for a movie. Um, something I always really admire about George was that he really valued the experience of sitting in a movie theater in your hometown and getting the best picture and the best quality and being with a crowd of people and making sure that the sound was high and the audio call, the, the visual quality was there. And George um, kind of created this club called THX um, to make sure that all these theaters, as it was a program, these theaters could um, participate in make sure that their sound was like tip top shape to show these like great movies that filmmakers like George Lucas were really spending all their time to make sure that the sound quality was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there's so many things where it's like we go to the movies and we're like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. You know, I want to go to a movie theater that has really good sound. I want to go to a movie theater that has really good proje- projection. And George Lucas was really on the forefront of making sure that as we pushed into new digital technology, that he that we got the best experience we possibly could, even in our small town of Georgia or even in the middle of the country. It's it's really, really admirable to me. It is. And and this is a problem that people were experiencing with solo, right? That mm-hmm. things weren't right <laughs> with the projection <laughs> and with the sound. And it, it affected a lot of people. And I think it was the first time, I think, in recent memory that I've considered like, oh, those kinds of things are really necessary in order to have a good viewing experience and uh, do impact your opinion on a film. And George was mm-hmm. always kind of thinking about those moments. Um, and I think sometimes – and I think it's fair to argue that he was probably thinking about that more than he was the actual film itself – um, mm-hmm. especially in, in in terms of like the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. And you, you definitely see like a very a very involved George Lucas for the prequels, um, which probably wasn't the best thing. Like George works best. George had the best product with collaborators. Maybe mm-hmm. it wasn't his best experience all the time, but he got a lot of his best products when he had really great collaborators. And what's that quote about Rick McCallum? Um, how he never says no. Yeah. <laughs> like the executive producer of the prequels. And you're like, that's probably not a great thing to look for <laughs> in a uh, collaborator, <laughs> someone who never says no. <laughs> I know. Um, but I just th- – this period in George's life from like the 1990s to now, I just think is is so fascinating because he's super grumbly about everything but super productive 
Um, and he's just – he keeps pushing forward. And, and there's this theme that crops up in kind of everything George Lucas does is that whether – whatever level of involvement he's in, whether it's something like Captain EO or it's The Phantom Menace where he's literally making every minute decision, everything is always emblazoned with his name on it. And then it's always heavily critiqued. And then George's response is always, well, it was heavily critiqued because it has my name on it. <laughs> and it's – and then and then you you go into these things about him trying to build ILM and then his um, museum that was the, the most recent thing. And, and everyone is – it always seems like the world is against George Lucas. <laughs> I know. You know? It's, it's, it really makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, same. And, and it's strange because some of these films that were coming out that he was doing in this period weren't great. And he, there were a lot of things he should have done differently in the production of the prequels. Um, but that doesn't mean that he's a horrible person or deserves a lot of the critique that he's gotten as a filmmaker and the, the maker, the creator of Star Wars. I don't know. I just think it's, I just think it's endlessly interesting, this like back and forth that George has always had with his career and with the public and with Hollywood. And I guarantee you that that museum that's going to be like, first, let me back up. The fact that this museum that George is building is ending up in Los Angeles, the one place he avoided for so long is like the The irony. The irony is insane. (laughs) The fact that it like bounced around from San Francisco, San Francisco said no to it. Chicago said no to it. All these cities are really honestly stupid for turning this down. I have like a lot of emotions about this. Me too. And I do feel like Los Angeles honestly is a great place for it. It's going to have a great home in Los Angeles. Um, I feel like LA is kind of starred for these museums that have to do with the narrative art and films and everything. It's like you go there, there's no film museum. It's really bizarre. Um, not that this museum is going to be a film museum, but I know that there will be some dedication it's like a pop to pop culture. Film. It's going to have a heavy in, um, emphasis on pop culture. Exactly. And I think that it's so interesting to me, like you said, that it's just like so heavily ironic. And like it's so- terrible to me that George like had wanting to wanted to preserve this part of art. And like he has such an amazing collection. And yet and, and like we're talking like classic works of art. <laughs> Over a billion dollars in his yeah. personal collection. And he's he's going to endow the place. He's going to purchase the land. There's a lot of work that George was doing. There's a lot of like money. 90%, yeah, for this to happen. And yet these two cities, you turned it down. It's just kind of crazy to me. Um, I wanted to read a, on the same theme. I wanted to read a quote from the George Lucas biography by Brian J. Jones. Um, it's at the end and it's just a a really good quote that I wanted to, it makes me kind of sad. Lucas in his early seventies was reflective, though good natured about his legacy as a filmmaker and as a human being, he'd hoped to be remembered first and foremost as a great dad. After that, I probably will be forgotten completely. He said only half joking. I hope I'll be remembered as one of those pioneers of digital cinema in the long run. That'll probably that's probably all it will come down to. Then with a twinkle, he added, they might remember me as the maker of some of those esoteric 20th century science fiction movies. It makes me so sad to like read that because it's like, he he's like, I want to be remembered for creating and pushing forward digital filmmaking, which again, just to underscore is used every single day in Hollywood now. 
Um, but he's like, I hope I'm remembered for that, but I'll probably just be remembered for Star Wars. Yeah. And that's fine. And I think he's okay with that because as we learn um, about his experience with the prequels, like he he learned to really love it again. And he had he said something like, you know, I think it was always my destiny to come back to Star Wars and to create Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And um, he also said that Re- the Revenge of the Sith set, which, as you guys know, that was the end of the prequels, um, was the most fun he ever had on a set. And all those things just like really warm my heart. Mm-hmm. And all the people and like the crew, I know that, that it was like such a tight knit community. And um, maybe you disagree that those movies weren't the best, but. Um, or you agree that those movies weren't the best? I don't know. Uh, what 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 are words? Um, <laughs> that it, it was really like I'm just happy that George was ha- was able to have that like last Star Wars experience that he really enjoyed mm-hmm. because <laughs> we know from even like two episodes ago in this by George series like things did not go right with the first few Star Wars. No, no, they didn't. And yeah, when you were reading that, I was thinking about the very end of the book talks about another interview with George. Where he says, maybe they'll write that I tried. Yeah. And you're like, oh, knife to the heart. Like, George has done so much right. Um, He's done so much right. He's also done things wrong. There's no denying. But he's done so much right. And people, a lot of the times, I feel like, just choose to focus on the wrong. And... Like when people when people talk about George Lucas, he's always the butt of the joke. You know, faster, more mm-hmm. intense, or he wears plaid. He only wears plaid. And he's we did it too, you know. Like he's eating candy bars and drinking Coca Cola in the back of the classroom. Um, you know, he's making all these decisions by himself. He's super controlling. He um, changed it so that Han didn't shoot first. Blah blah blah. Like all these things. It's never that's always what comes first when you talk about George Lucas. And sure. You can talk about those things, and I think people have valid reasons for not liking the special editions. They have good reasons for not liking the special editions, whatever the thing is. But, like, George Lucas has indelibly changed the world of filmmaking in so many ways. Um, And I I, like we've had a prequel renaissance. I hope we get a George Lucas renaissance. Um, I mean, I think we already see it with the, like, vitriol thrown at Ryan Johnson. You see people being like, why couldn't George Lucas be back and blah, yeah, blah, but blah, I don't, blah, where it's like, it's absurd. In my director headcanon, George Lucas loves Ryan Johnson. So I, I don't want it to be at the – I don't want the George love to be at, at the expense of the Ryan hate. Um, oh, my God. Hashtag Rowan Johnson just, like, kills me. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Stupid. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and, and just knowing that like he was probably super upset and hurt that his story treatments weren't used for the sequel trilogy. Um, that just like that makes me sad for him. You know, that was his baby, and for as much grief as it gave him, it was his child, his empire. It, it created everything for him. He got married at Skywalker Ranch. Like it's 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 important to him and he still owns it he still owns it yeah i mean he's the biggest shareholder in lucasfilm disney and disney yeah casual (laughs) it is so casual (laughs) you read that and you're like whoa really (laughs) like oh two percent four billion two percent in disney okay 
<laughs> yeah, that was some meeting at the Brown Derby at Hollywood Studios. <laughs> I love I love that story too because it's like one, the Brown Derby wasn't open, which is how Bob Iger wanted it. Two, he just come off of a workout, so he was eating a yogurt parfait, and you're like, was he in gym clothes? Like, did he just do a lap around the Brown Derby and MGM? <laughs> I think it's oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I we should have contextualized the story a little bit. Yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> when Star Tours, the Adventures Continue, which is like a remastered version of Star Tours, a ride at Hollywood Studios in um, Disney World, opened, George was there, and Bob Iger asked George, Bob Iger, the um, president of Disney, asked George for a breakfast meeting at the Brown Derby, which is a fancy restaurant in the park, and that's what went down when Bob asked. If he ever considered selling Star, uh, Lucasfilm to Disney because they were very interested. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, George said no, but and he said, I'm not ready to have this conversation now, but uh, not now, but I'll let you know when I am. Yeah. And it was at that point where George had been kind of thinking, and we'll, we'll get into this, I know, but um, this was like right before he had brought Kathleen Kennedy in and everything. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I'm totally with you. I love that story. <laughs> yeah. can I, speaking of stories, can I tell my favorite Star Tours story? Tell your favorite Star Tours okay. story. So if you guys don't know, Charlotte is a huge Disney World fan, like a huge theme park fanatic in general, but Disney World especially. Her family were annual pass holders for a long time. My family had a house really close to – my grandparents had a house close to Disney World in Florida. Um, so a lot of the time, Charlotte and I would actually meet at Disney World. Um, We went to Disney World quite a bit when we were in middle and high school. We were very fortunate. And um, Charlotte is really good at memorizing things. And so she would memorize the, like, tracks to every single ride in Disney World. And we'd stand in line and you'd hear whatever was playing over the intercom. And Charlotte would just parrot it back, like, the whole time we were in line. (laughs) And I, I used to annoy me so much. Like, whatever mundane, random ride or show we were in, she knew all the words <laughs> every time. And uh, when they redid Star Tours, the first time we went, we got in line <laughs> and C-3PO starts talking and she goes to speak and it's a whole new script. <laughs> and she didn't know the words. And I'll never forget the look on your face when you realized that it was a new script that was playing over the intercoms. And you were like, it was like pure shock. <laughs> you were like, oh my God. And I was so happy. I can't even tell you. I was ecstatic. I just like I laughed the whole time. I that was like an out of body experience. It, it really, like, I kid you not. Her face was just like what? Like ashen. That's how I imagined me looking. <laughs> yes, that's the perfect way to describe it. You were ashen. It was hilarious, and I'm just glad that it was C3PO that got to be a part of that moment for you. <laughs> It was amazing. I'll never forget it. It's one of my best Disney memories. <laughs> anyway, back to creation <laughs> as a theme. So is creation and invention a theme in Star Wars? I mean, I don't really think in the literal sense. Um, yeah. I guess you see like tinkering with things a lot. And I think you see the wheels turning of like – we hear about like the creation of the New Republic, the Galactic Senate, blah, 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 but we don't really see those things very often in Star Wars. It's kind of something that's already happened by the time we get to that point in the story. Um, they've really glossed over it a lot in the sequel trilogy too. So not really, I, but I think the mindset behind creation and invention, if you want to get like super um, 
I don't know, like esoteric about it of like creating a better world, a better galaxy for future generations. Obviously, that's a big part of Star Wars, but I don't think like literal invention is as much a part of it. At least not in the saga you. films. And I don't really even think in the in Rebels or in Clone Wars. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that I think just to take a step back out of the story, I think that as Star Wars films are being created in today's age, um, it's obviously a totally different era than the previous years of Star Wars filmmaking. But I do think that there's a conscious understanding that Star Wars films are meant to push the boundaries in terms of special effects, in terms of sound, in terms of even like, I don't know, acting, maybe not really acting, but like any... Really everything Star Wars is supposed to push the boundaries is to create something new. Mm -hmm. And I think that you see – I think you saw that especially – I think the the most clear example I can think of is Tarkin in Rogue One. Yes. Um, They developed that technology to do that, going above and beyond to get the approval of Peter Cushing's family in order to sculpt – honestly, a really fully believable digital character version of Tarkin. Um. I mean, you saw that they tried with Carrie Fisher as well. And I think that all those steps in order to push the boundaries, Star Wars is supposed to um, be inventing a new medium. They're the original uh, cinematic universe, if you will. And I, I think that that's something that is probably core to creating a Star Wars film at this point is to take these lessons of George Lucas, like literally pushing forward. Um, technology and apply them to new films Mm -hmm. and that was something that george had even kind of you can read it kind of snidely when you read it in print about the force awakens he's like well it's what people have been asking for um Mm -hmm. like the the nostalgia yeah the tone of the force awakens and i know that that was something that we always talked about with the force awakens um part of our a piece of our disappointment and Obviously, we love The Force Awakens, but um, that it didn't seem like it was doing anything new. And I think that's a fair criticism of that film. And then I think that's why George appears in any way to have better reception for Rogue One, because it does have something, like you said, like Tarkin, um, the CGI of Tarkin and of Princess Leia. Um, and it it was developing. Like, I think Tarkin looked much better than Leia did in Rogue One. And then mm-hmm. even, like, in The Last Jedi with the the effect of Rey in the mirror cave, like, that was all brand new technology mm-hmm. that Ryan helped to develop with this company. And that's something that I think George pro- probably knows about and probably really appreciates about that film, that it wasn't just breaking ground on new story and doing something different that way, but it was also doing something completely new and innovative behind the scenes, too. And I hope that we see something more like that in episode nine. Yeah, I think that... It is definitely a concern that I have about JJ, but I do think that like the ground has been set. Like, if you look at certain years, um, and like it's it's very clear to me that The Force Awakens. I I think that the there you're there are fair criticisms of what you said, but I'm kind of in a different mind about it now. Maybe it's because we have the second piece in the trilogy, but um, I think that the purpose of The Force Awakens was to like gather back the fans you know and um like create like a a film that really like pleased the masses and then kind of like funnel them into um like a deeper love of the lore the mind blow that was the last jedi yeah exactly and even like you see that even with solo where it's like 
they have like you just get like the funnel just gets like even more narrow. You know what I mean? Yeah. By that? The, the petty person in me is like, well, if they don't if Star Wars fans don't love us that are prequel weirdness, they don't deserve us that are like a new hope. <laughs> oh, amen. amen. <laughs> like have the the like appeasement of fans for the Force Awakens. I hate that argument and I know that it had to do that. Practically you needed to do that to make money. But the thing that I always go back to is it bothers me so much that I had to watch that stupid trailer with practical effects <laughs> and that stupid, like, crow. You know, the crow on Jakku <laughs> that's just, like, pecking at a piece of wood and it's, like, practical effects and you see that crow and you're like, oh, that's a real bird. But then Force Awakens had more CGI than any film. <laughs> and you're like, that's so annoying. <laughs> That's yeah, like, that's the, like fake news. Kind of tough. Yeah, well, it's it's just hard. Let's let's lean a little bit into the weirdness because oh, um, it's something you and I love. I think there's like a an uprising of loving the weirdness in Star Wars too mm-hmm. right now. Um, and George has always like completely leaned into the weird. Um, he loves that kind of stuff. Is those are the, that's the kind of art he approved in. Um, <laughs> You know, he was really interested in making fantasy movies like Willow and um, the one that I really just want to talk about and I'm just like bursting at the seams to talk about is Strange Magic. Strange Magic. So Strange Magic has like such an interesting history. It was in development for basically over 15 years before it was quietly released in 2015. And it was released – that was after obviously the Disney purchase. So it was released by Disney. And but it had been completely like worked on for years, like even in the recent Clone Wars panel, there was talk about um, some of the crew members on Clone Wars actually moved over from Strange Magic to work on Clone Wars. And that was back in 2006, 2007. And that's when they were working on Strange Magic. So I had never seen Strange Magic until like two nights ago. Neither had you. Right, Caitlin? No, I I had watched the trailer and I'd watched some of the, um, like music video clips mm-hmm. from it, and I I knew what it was. I knew how it ended. It's very strange. It, it lives so, up to the name. <laughs> so basically, this movie is a fairy tale, and George had set out to make it for his daughters. He wanted to make a fairy tale with a deep theme like Star Wars, but for girls. And I know that's a problematic concept. And I find it problematic too (laughs) as a huge fan of Star Wars and a girl. But I know that he wanted to make a like a fairy princess tale that kind of delved into the weirdness and almost create a Beauty and the Beast concept without the beast turning beautiful in the end. And Guys, what's so mind blowing about just, Strange Magic? The thing, the thing is, we're being around the bush here, but this film is like so Raylo, I can't even express it to you. <laughs> like the movie starts, which is how George originally thought of wanting to start Star Wars, of it being like a book that opens, and then you would like dive into the book, and and that's the story. Um, that was in very early concepts for Star Wars that. Never really went anywhere, obviously. But anyway, so you open, you unscroll this map, and it's giving you a map of the two lands, the dark woods, and then the the fairy world, which is like all happy. And there's this line that goes down the middle that separates the two worlds. And I think, I, I wish I could remember the exact verbiage, but basically it says that the light and dark need to balance each other. <laughs> 
This is it's the so crazy. prologue. This is before the movie even starts. The tagline of the movie is everybody deserves to be loved. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so crazy. And like I okay, so like literally non-ironically, I loved this movie. I had like the best time watching this movie. And it wasn't because of the Raylo. Like maybe it did have like a little bit to do think, with the Raylo effect. I can't aspects. deny the Raylo effect of this. But movie. like I honestly thought this movie was like a really fun fairy tale. I loved the story. The story is essentially a fairy princess is engaged to like this dashing prince and the dashing prince like ends up cheating on her and she catches them and then she turns into like goth princess Mm -hmm. and and meanwhile all the music is like modern music (laughs) apparently we're talking like beyonce (laughs) yeah apparently these are all george's favorite songs and the fact that crazy in love by beyonce is on this soundtrack i just Giving, I'm giving you, the listeners, a mental image of George Lucas and his plaid shirt and beard jamming along to Crazy in Love by Beyonce. There you go. Do with it what you will. And maybe someday we'll do like a full episode about Strange Magic in comparison and everything. I really but just want to talk about Strange Magic so much. <laughs> I I mean, the, the movie ends, like spoiler alert, sorry, um, but the movie ends with this fairy princess from the light side falling in love with this tormented bog king um who's evil on the dark side and they have more in common than they thought and um uh, oh man i just really loved it and he's like ugly and awful and he doesn't turn back into like some like beautiful prince like in beauty and the beast and that's that was the whole point of it was that like it's not really what's on the outside Mm -hmm. um and your surroundings don't define you define you mm-hmm. there's, um there's even like this little mouse that like runs around with this love potion that's basically the cosmic force in this whole story it's crazy guys it's crazy it's it's so interesting i think the, the the pacing of this movie is a little off i will say like things happen in like the span of like 12 hours <laughs> this whole movie takes place it's like the last jedi <laughs> This is, this is true. Um, the last day at least has like a couple days <laughs> that you can like sneak in there. Strange Magic has no days. It's it's hours. Um, but it's 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 very strange. And what I think is funny is that this is like in development. George said he wanted to make it for his daughters. You know, some, something for little girls, which is problematic, like you said. Um, but the, the fact that, like, the Dark Woods are just – it's very grotesque, these characters. None of them are cute. There's nothing appealing. The only thing that's cute is the little m- mouse thing. The mouse thing is cute. It's it's a little creepy, too. Um, but everything from the Dark Woods is, is really ugly, is really creepy. There's nothing endearing about any of those characters. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but but it does create this really vivid contrast between the the quote unquote light and dark sides. Um, and anyway, the main fairy Marianne is just amazing. She talks about how like what does she say to her father? Who's like, I just want you to find like a nice prince to marry or something like that. And she's like, if I find a man who I don't want to hit in the face, I'll consider it. <laughs> and you're like, yes, queen. <laughs> Same. I loved her. <laughs> I I just, like, I want to talk about how George, like, w- leaned into this movie. He really wanted to make it. He didn't direct it. Um, and it, this movie, I just want to also add, is produced by Kiri Hart, who's now on the story team, story group of Star Wars. Um, and I, 
I just think it's so it's it's really like the the picture of George Lucas in wanting to hear this movie. He spends all this time on this movie. They, you know, push the technology. It's like beautifully animated. Like the animation is amazing, mm-hmm. right? Like I in the transitions are very Georgie. If you didn't notice that, did you notice that, Caitlin? Um, like, of course. <laughs> yeah, like we're talking like wipes, screens <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, it was great. Um, and he released this almost to just like put it out. It made zero dollars, but he still like touts it and is proud of it and is happy that he made this movie. Mm-hmm. And I. I don't know. I kind of love it. I, I love how weird the movie is. It's got and... the, the humor in it is really quirky as well. Like the two, um, the two sidekicks that kind of followed the Bog King around. I think they're hilarious. They just have these little. It's almost like the TK one seven conversations that are very much in the background, but they just have these little conversations in the background that are just so weird and and like quietly funny about like what their lunch is that day or. You should do this. No, you should do it. All right, I'll do it. Like, they're, they're just – I don't know. It, it's it's an interesting movie. When Charlton and I are watching it, we both texted each other like, I'm, are, we, are we having regrets that we only rented this movie and didn't buy it? <laughs> yes. The answer is yes because I stand Strange Magic the now. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> I – um. I'm just, like, I honestly am slightly surprised how, like, panned this movie got, just, like, in general. Um, but I, I do realize that it's maybe not a critical favorite. Um, but, again, that kind of goes with, like, George, like, probably didn't think it was going to be a critical success, but did he care? No. <laughs> That's the thing. I Sometimes, I, sometimes I, I was reading this book and I was like, he cares, it bothers him. But I'm like, no, he doesn't because he just keeps making these weird movies. Yeah, I think that's really the thing. It's like, I think that it does affect him. I think he's affected by when people write things against his art. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that he is one to change his personality because of that. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And to me, that's really encouraging. It is, yeah. It's like, this is who I am. This is what I want to make. And critics might not like it. Critics never really like what I like. Um, But... I'm still going to make it. And because for every, I think the quote is like for every one person that likes it, there's five people that don't or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And, or the opposite of that for every. No, 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 it was, it was, it was for every one person that likes it, two or three people won't. And I I feel like that's how it was to be a prequel fan in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, I read that. I was like, yep, I totally get (laughs) that. I relate, George. I feel you. Yeah. And I, I'm just happy that he continued to make movies and the Clone Wars um, even after the prequels were basically panned mm-hmm. by critics. Agreed. And the Clone Wars was basically panned by critics when it was released as a, a movie in theaters in 2008. And we see how that is now, right? <laughs> Hashtag Clone Wars saved. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. All right. Well, are you ready to move on to part two? I am. I guess there's a saying among directors that a film is never finished, it's just abandoned. And for other directors, it's the film is never finished, they just finally take it away from you at some point. But no matter how the story goes, the director is usually left frustrated and not feeling that he's been able to complete his vision or it's been altered one way or another. And um, so later on I had the opportunity uh, when uh, we were thinking about reissuing the films for the 20th anniversary of Star Wars. 
of um, fixing them up. And I said, well, this is a great chance for me to experiment with a new technology and see if I can do the, the, the uh, prequels. Uh, and at the same time, fix a lot of things that I was really frustrated with the first time around with Star Wars that I couldn't complete properly because I didn't have enough mo- time, money, or technology to do it with. And um, and so that was a great experience for me. So the the final version now, the DVD version of the films when they finally get out there, uh, will have uh, all of the um, nuances that I had been looking for when I first did the films. Part two: retouching. All right, so I feel like this is actually Star Wars ground that we have not really covered within Skytalkers, and it's the special editions of Star Wars. So do we think it's within George's right to tinker with his own films? So it's really, it's a, it's a hard question um, because he, and I don't have it in front of me, but he did defend the right for artists to own their own films and not allow like things to be recolored and retouched mm-hmm. um, beyond the artist's control. Yeah. Cause um, in a Supreme court case. What, it right? was in the, um, it was in the 80s or early 90s when they were starting – they were, like, recoloring all of these films, these early films. Yeah, like I were, Love Lucy. Yeah, but that were in black and white. And George uh-huh. was like, that's messing with the art. You can't do that. And then a couple years later, the special editions come out. And it's it's weird because it's like, okay, he's right. You can't mess with someone else's art. But George Lucas made these movies. They're his. Maybe he can – edit them and a lot of there's a lot of conflicting reports and maybe that's the thing that is fans like have been really hung up on for years right Mm -hmm. is this idea that george like has walked back on the whole han shot first thing and the special editions and adding like over four minutes of footage to the original star wars um i the first star wars i ever saw was the special editions and you too Mm mm-hmm and we have talked about that on the show before in like a very early episode. And I remember people being shocked by that. And I think it's really interesting because I think that there's actually so many people who probably started with the special editions and don't even realize that it's a special edition. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I don't know. I, I I'm just, I'm, I'm in a couple minds about it where it's like, I don't think the movies belong to the fans. I think George has a right to improve upon his art and release in a different format. Um, but they're not available in the original format. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about it. I know. Same. And, and I think about it in terms of other art forms too. Like if someone came back and wanted to add in an additional chapter to a book that they had written, um, would that be okay? Like, I mean, like with the Harry Potter franchise, like if, if JK Rowling came in and was like, oh, actually there's, uh, a whole well, she does do that so but like a whole like a whole other chapter in like the chamber of secrets yeah um like a whole four chapters or something like that like would that be okay would that be all right like it would be the same thing but then i think about it too like when we're because you and i both do a lot of art history and, and did in our college life in our undergrad um but you can go back and see artists with like x-ray technology on these paintings you can go back and see where they change things all the time on their paintings um, and you can see the imprints of the images that were there prior or like a figure was moved to the left in order to make room for a new element in the painting. And this was, people did this all the time. And that was, I mean, I guess we don't know if people were in arms about it, but it happened a lot. So I guess they weren't. 
Um, well, so th- this is where it gets a little tough, though, when it comes to Star Wars, is that we're like, oh, George has the right to change his art. But it's not just George's art. It's like it's all the crew members who worked on it. It's the guys who slaved over working on the special effects. Um, and those are like completely changed for like a certain digital effect. It's all these different things. Um, it's all these different people. Like films are a collaboration, not just one person, unlike like a painting, an oil painting. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but George has always created his films, his goal has been to have these films be completely within his control. Exactly. Be able to take it from start to finish. And I guess at some point it's like, well, if you build up this empire, if you take all of the crap that you've taken, I guess you should be able to do whatever you want with these films. Um, and he fought tooth and nail to have the rights back to all of these films. I mean, George was so like smart about these things like with the distribution of phantom menace for example he told fox he was like yeah you can uh you can distribute phantom menace but you have to give me back the rights to the original star wars movie i mean talk about aggressive negotiations (laughs) and so he got he got back the rights to star wars so now he literally held all the pieces and it's like man you got to give the guy credit for that um And I know that you and I tend to side with George on this kind of issue. Um, But for a lot of fans, it's very different. And I know that if the the despecialized editions were released, we would buy them. And is that hypocritical of us to do that? I mean, I don't know. I think that it goes back to us, like, liking the historical aspect of it. (laughs) Like, we want to see the original ones. But it's Mm -hmm. not – the superior version and I hate to use the word canon here but like it's not what I consider canon Star Wars yeah exactly like, but then I just the, I always feel thing- too that would be like a disservice it would be disrespectful like for Disney to do that would be disrespectful to George Lucas I know and I think Kathleen Kennedy has recently said she's, she was like that's never going to happen right like the, yeah, we're not touching I those so. I think yeah. is that the, is the quote but then what and happens like 40 years from now after George has passed away like I and whoever there'll be like a criterion Ka- collection Star yeah, Wars yeah like after and then after Kathleen Kennedy has gone too and it's like that's not what George would have wanted I know and the thing is is that it it just like on another like a topic the special the original 1977 film is grainy it's not it's not perfect as a lot of fans think it is and i think that we took we were able to take with the special editions we got a cleaned up piece of film right with digital editions mm-hmm. um but it's like we get this like one side of cleaned up film which is great and then obviously people don't like this digital edition side with it but you can't you have both these things that I don't know. You like one thing, but you don't like the other. It's tough. Yeah. It's just, it's really, it's a a really tough place to be in. It's interesting as you were saying that because who knows what the, like when George went to go do the special editions, he got the film of Star Wars and it was rapidly deteriorating and they had to Mm -hmm. do like a whole year of restoration and cleaning on the film um, before they even added in any of the new digital effects. And so if they hadn't checked in the 90s to make the special editions if they just left the film canisters there who knows what the condition of the film would be now i know which is kind of scary to think about (laughs) 
I know it really is just like really freak you out as like a yeah, preservationist. It yeah, it does. I'm also like this was in the 90s at this point. Obviously, Star Wars is a um a, a mega franchise, and I'm like George, why why wasn't this taken care of? Like, I know you already had Skywalker <laughs> Ranch, and I'm sure you, like your warehouse for things restored. Were you not up to code? Like, what's the deal here? Um. And and they talked about how like there were even like pieces like, pieces of the physical film that were missing that had to be digitally touched up, um, like just f- digitally filled in, not even adding mm-hmm. digital thing like new special editions, but just completing the actual frame of the of certain parts of the films. So it's like now you you physically can't have the despecialized editions like that film doesn't exist anymore because it was deteriorating. Yeah, which which is as a preservationist and as as an aspiring preservationist, I should say, knock on wood, um, that is kind of a bummer. As a Star Wars fan, like I said, I tend to side with George, but I don't. That that's what I go back to is that I think it would be disrespectful to George Lucas to do it because it was something he fought so hard for, worked really hard to develop the technology to do it, paid a crap ton of money to do it to his own money. Everything George has done has always been with his own money, which is crazy. And again, one of the things I really admire about him too, that right, he put his money where his mouth was every in single like a time, very literal sense, every single time for Howard the Duck, for, Ga- for <laughs> Strange Magic, for Magic, for Clone the Wars, Red Tails, everything is George Lucas's uh-huh. money. Um. I was just thinking about how when the Blu-ray complete set, the nine-disc Blu-ray complete set was released in 2011, it was even even further tinkering with um, the, quote, special editions. Mm -hmm. And there's been obviously a lot of different versions of these special editions and these editions to the Star Wars movies. But I think that Star Wars never looked better than on the Blu-ray. And maybe that's just my opinion, but I think that it – like things are being continuously revised and there's something really I mean we talk a lot about Star Wars being like a generational thing and like how everyone has their own access point and um everyone's Star Wars isn't the same as the next person's and I think there's really something about how Star Wars continuously reinvents itself through stories but it's also like keeping and making sure that its films are updated for like the 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 modern viewer yeah, so that they continue to be relevant and continue to be watched. Yeah, and I think that's important. Well, and that was the thing you told me when I first watched the original trilogy, is you you mm-hmm. sat me down. I have the image in my head of you standing in front of my TV in my basement saying, <laughs> now just so you know, these are not going to look as nice as the films we just watched. These were made in the 70s. And you like went on this whole thing. And I was like, that's weird. Why don't they just like remake them? <laughs> This is before I saw them. So it was like sacrilegious. But like, I mean. Gas. Gas. The the 13-year-old you was like, these films aren't as technologically advanced. The original trilogy. Yeah, because I – even like someone who probably had only seen like not very many movies. I mean, I've seen a lot of movies when I was younger too. But I think that at that point, like I didn't have like a keen eye of filmmaking or cinematography. But I still knew that like – they were different. The technology and they look different. different. And they're they're slower paced, especially a new hope mm-hmm. is much slower paced than um other the prequels aren't exactly slow paced or fast paced. They are in some parts, but they're definitely slow in other parts. But like the a lot yeah. of the films we would have been watching in two thousand five and six were really fast paced. I mean, 
um, especially like action sequences and action films and things like that. And so it is different. Um, and I think, and I think too, that goes in part to like the era that we grew up in, in the nineties and early two thousands of seeing technology change rapidly and seeing things constantly being improved upon that we're just kind of used to that. So for, for us, especially, it doesn't really phase us, I think as much as maybe some older fans. And I know that's a bit of a generalization, but that's kind of that's kind of what it feels like, um, at least from mm-hmm. my own experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm definitely like I'm uh, I completely agree with you. The retouching concept is fascinating to me and it is something that I think we had to talk about in our by George series because it really does in a way always follow George Lucas around. Mm-hmm. Um, in a negative way. And here we are being like, well, maybe it's not so negative. Maybe it's pretty positive. <laughs> maybe that's our whole thing. Yeah. I mean, but- I think I think as someone who looks at history a lot and looks at records and things like that, from that perspective, do I wish there was an original version of it? Yes. Um, and I know I, I – I want original versions of everything. Yeah. I know I'd buy it too. Um, but I hope if anything like that does come out, it's – George is for it. Um, mm-hmm. And I just don't think that'll happen because I think all of the crap he's received from fans over the years, I think – I'll say I think he'd be a bit petty about it and would be like, no. <laughs> um, and uh, part of me is like, who can blame him, honestly, for all of – everything he's had to endure in the past 20 years? Um, I know, who can I know. blame him? Um, totally which is mean and petty I get that it's it's not taking the high road on that kind of situation but it is what it is and Mm -hmm. uh I'm sure there like you can get bootleg versions of Star Wars if you if you really care that much you know what I mean Mm -hmm. well I remember I think it was in 2009 or 10 honestly maybe even on 2011 they had released like side by side um it was the first time the original trilogy wasn't in a box set on DVD and you could get the original, but it wasn't necessarily the original um, and the updated version, the like special the editions. Well, they had, um, I had this video store near me at school that was like a, a blockbuster, but it was like a local blockbuster. It was amazing, but it, it went out of business this year, sadly. And they had an original Star Wars there. And you could buy it um, once they were going out of business. And when I found that out, I I didn't know that they had an original one there first off or else I I would have rented it at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I was walking around and I left my wallet at home and I literally went home and got my wallet and I came back and it was gone. No way. You didn't tell me that. Yeah. Yeah. I Probably because I was so upset. Um, But yeah, they had like a little note on it. They were like, this is the original version. Uh. And like, okay, listen to me right now, being like, oh my god, what a missed opportunity! <laughs> like, such a hypocrite! Such oh a hypocrite! Um, you know, it's it's better, it's better for us, it's better this way. Yeah, it's better this way. <laughs> and the thing is, we know what was added. That's that's yeah. a good thing. Again, from a from a historic archive standpoint, is you know the parts that were added, um, and so you can. Like, I'm sure the technology, like, the thing is with the way technology moves, people are going to, like, unspecialize their own special editions of Star Wars at some point, you know? So, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. The special editions are a hard subject. Man, maybe this is why we haven't really ever talked about it before. 
it's hard because I don't know if I agree with either side. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but I am what I am and I'm someone that was introduced to the special editions first. Same. For a while, I didn't even know that they were special editions. Me neither. So. My mom didn't know that. There you go. No one. Yeah. It's your Star Wars mic drop for the episode. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's move on to part three. We've, you know, got a plan for – uh, seven, eight, and nine, which are the, is the, the end of the trilogy, and um, other films also. So uh, we have a, you know, a large uh, uh, group of ideas and characters and books and all kinds of things. We could go on making Star Wars for the next hundred years. I realized at some point I needed to retire, and I wanted to go on and do other things, uh, things in philanthropy and doing more experimental kind of films, but I couldn't really drag my company into that. I've been a big fan of Disney all my life, uh, you know, from when I was born, uh, first day at Disneyland, uh, love Disney movies. I look at it as uh, uh, I'm investing in Disney because that's my retirement fund. Part three, letting go. So I think we all know where we were in 2012 when the news broke that George Lucas was selling um, Star Wars Star Wars, Lucasfilm, to Disney, and that there were going to be three more films and more films and more films. Um, so we've told the story before about where we were, and I was in college. Or we were both in college, and I was in Massachusetts, and Caitlin was in Georgia, and she'd called me, and I was out with some of my friends, and she'd left me like four voicemails, and I listened to the voicemails on my friend's car floor, like I was in the back seat. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing because I wasn't that active on Twitter or anything. And I was like sobbing in the backseat of my friend's car. And I wasn't that public about my Star Wars obsession. So it was like a very like my friends were like, are you okay?" I'm like, I have to go. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) And this is obviously not I I, that that tone sounded a little like I was sobbing sad, but I was just like so excited. I couldn't even believe that we were getting more Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember you not answering. And mm-hmm. being very upset. <laughs> I know. I don't that's the thing, I don't remember where I read the news, but I remember calling you and leaving you voicemails about it. Like five voicemails. I wish I could find them. I know. I'm sure the thing is I'm sure you have that phone somewhere because no one gets rid yeah. of their cell phones. It's just a matter of where it is, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, I should probably find them. You should. When you're home, if you come home for Christmas this year, we should we should put that on our to do list. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it was insane thinking about it because that was the same year that I had seen Phantom Menace in theaters when they were going through and going to like re-release all of the Star Wars in 3D in theaters. R.I.P. I was really looking forward to that experience Me of too. seeing all the Star Wars Me again too, in the theaters. Actually, because I was really excited to see the original trilogy in theaters. Um, but they showed them chronologically, which was great. And I went to the midnight premiere of Phantom Menace in Athens, Georgia, and there were five people in the theater. And the teller laughed at me when I said I had pre-ordered tickets. <laughs> and there was no one there. Um, and <laughs> I think I expected like a line of people. And there were no people. You expected a Star Wars experience. I did. It was a bad Star Wars. I actually have pictures of me standing in the empty lobby. <laughs> I my theater in Worcester, Massachusetts was packed. I had to sit in the front row. Mine was, and it was empty. a huge theater. That's that's really sad. Was, but mine was really crowded. It was sad. The, the Force <laughs> Awakens experience totally makes up for it. I never count the Phantom Menace one because it was just really bad. 
Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, so that happens. Um, and I, it's just so surprising. Like, I, I just can't stress that enough. We were, I mean, I just think the world was like WTF. Um, it's, it's surprising, but it's not like we had just talked about Captain EO and George's relationship. We were just talking about Star Tours. You know, Disney and George Lucas really went hand in hand. George was there um, on the opening day of Disneyland. Like, can you imagine that? I think that it it was like fate that this was going to happen. And I, I think what was just so surprising about it when you take a step back about it is we just spent this entire series talking about how George had always wanted control um, and maybe not in a necessarily a bad way over his product and his company and everything. And here he was um, selling it and um, bringing on Kathleen Kennedy, like Kathleen Kennedy becoming the head of Lucasfilm and things were changing. And I think it was pretty shocking to, if you understand anything about George's history and how he is as a, um, a leader that this would happen. Mm -hmm. Um, To completely sell it. The whole kit and caboodle. Exactly. And exactly. like quick cold turkey. It's it's kind of crazy. But but then that's like where the sad part of the story comes in because it was like he submitted these story treatments that he had laid out for seven, eight, nine. And according to Bob Iger, they had a lot of potential. And then they were just kind of thrown by the wayside. Um, and I'm not saying that Georgia's story treatments would have been better than what we have now. Um I'm sure they were apples to oranges. I'm sure they're very different. And that's, that is what it is. But it is sad because you just imagine like you give up this whole thing that you've worked your whole life for, you've built an empire on, you've faced a lot of criticism and crap from fans and critics alike, and you give it to the place that is supposed to be the happiest place on earth that's really meant a lot to you, George, you pretending you're George, of course, in this scenario. Um, and they tell you that, yeah, this has a lot of potential. And then what you're presented with a couple months or years down the line is something completely different and not at all resembling what you had thought was going to be coming. Yep. I am – I'm with you. But I do kind of have this, like, backwards theory about how – I don't ever think that George's story treatments, as we've seen, like nothing truly gets thrown away. I I think there's more of it in um, the story than we even realize. And maybe that'll come out in years to come. Um, maybe, that's my but- like deep-rooted, like insane theory. But I know that it, The Force Awakens was not in line with his original vision at all. Yeah, I think it's like pieces and designs. It's not yeah, story. Like Darth Vader's grandchildren. Like he said that before. It's like whatever happened to Darth Vader's grandchildren. Yeah. Like, like obviously we have Ben Solo. Yeah, but it's not um, it's not the same story beats that he had. But you're right. I don't think anything no. ever gets thrown away. And there was a bit in the biography that talked about how George had like a list of people that were allowed to see these story treatments. Um mm-hmm. It was a very exclusive list. And so I'm, I'm sure that it's written into the contract that these things aren't allowed to be seen for like 50 years or something like that. You know, I'm sure George thought ahead for that. I know. It's crazy. The thing, though, that like really gets me about this decision is the theme of letting go, as we discuss in this section, is a big part of Star Wars. It is... 
I wouldn't say it's the core message of Star Wars, but it is a huge part of the fact that, you know, Anakin couldn't let go of his, you know, emotions or he had to move on. And letting go is is central to a Star Wars theme. Um, and when you're too attached to something, it overtakes your life. Um, and you get obsessed with it. And here George Lucas is letting go of his company that he has obsessed over his entire life. And there is some like symphony there about how those are interacting in terms of themes in life and in art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because I mean, I mean, Star Wars is about letting go. At, at its core, it's about hope and it's about love. But letting go is a piece of that. But it, it's about letting go of the things that weigh you down, about letting go mm-hmm. of obsession and hate and fear. Um, and when those things get morphed with things like love, like Anakin's for Padme's, that's when you get into murky territory. Um, and I think that like a weird metaphor, but like Star Wars is kind of like George Lucas's Padme. Like, <laughs> I don't even know where I'm going with this, but like he was obsessed with it, but it caused him a lot of grief <laughs> and like sent him down some, some weird paths. <laughs> but in the end, like it was love. That he had for Star Wars. Yeah. Just like at the core, Anakin felt true love for for Padme, but it it did become something. It manifested. Yeah. It manifested in some bad ways. Um, That's that's bad because I don't know. Obviously, fiction is different from reality. If you guys have been listening to Sky Talkers for any amount of time, you know that I have the weirdest parallels. I draw the weirdest similarities (laughs) between things that are very loose. Um, I mean, I think that it's just it needs to be said that George is so happy now that he is not, you know, involved in the day to day of Lucasfilm. He's got married. He has a young daughter. He is he found love again, which he never said he was going to find. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worth mentioning is uh, sometimes I don't really like to mention like actors personal lives and everything. But and not that George is an actor, but like these celebrities personal lives, I don't really know if they have a lot to do with certain things but I do think at this point like George has found utter happiness beyond Lucasfilm and to me that again is pretty inspiring because we've I've been you two have been like pouring over these like interviews of years and years and years right of George Lucas talking and mm-hmm. there's one from like 2002 where he's like I'm never gonna love again like love is not gonna happen for me I am a single dad and here he is, married, happy, and he gets to be a father again. And I think that there's something really inspiring about that ability to let go and start over and be as mm-hmm. happy as you possibly can be. Yeah, yeah. To um, to allow the the successes and the failures of his past to make up a complete story of who he is. Mm-hmm. And totally, yeah. And this is this is it, guys. This is your Kylo Ren analysis as well. <laughs> we didn't do it last episode. <laughs> Somehow. Yeah, last episode was a Kylo Ren free episode. You're welcome. (laughs) But like Kylo Ren must do to let go of the fear and anger and hatred in his life and embrace the family and love in his life. George Lucas has done the same. Or is working towards doing the same. Yep. We don't know intimate details, but he I'm I'm sure there are good days and bad days. Yeah. You know? 
Here's the caveat that I've said in every By George episode. I don't know George Lucas. We don't know George Lucas. We're just analyzing George Lucas from this biography that we have read. Yeah. But I see. I think he does seem really happy. I mean, the quote that I read in the beginning of the show about how he hopes he's remembered for being a good dad, I think that he – that's the core of everything that he found um, – he found joy in mm-hmm. in being a father. Yeah. And, you know, we don't know George Lucas, but we did stand about two feet away from him at the solo premiere. <laughs> so we're getting closer, guys, physically and emotionally through this book. So when George walked us by at the solo premiere, I don't know what came out of my mouth besides, thank you, George. Thank you, George. <laughs> thank you, George. Like, I have a recording of him walking by and it's like so embarrassing. I'm never posting it anywhere because I just feel like I don't even know what I said besides thank you. I like, think can you imagine it at him. Thank you. Is how weird is that though? He's like he's, he's not like the pope. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> but sure I do like I have so much fan art out there of George Lucas as the pope, honestly. That <laughs> chicken does that thing too where it's like thank the maker, that whole sketch they have about thank the maker. Um, well, I'm I'm endlessly grateful for George Lucas in his mind, but it was like yeah. in that moment when I see George Lucas like for the first time, you. like I'm close to him, I'm like, thank you. It was like the Pope. <laughs> it was like the Pope, like bless you, George, like with your little water stick. Yeah. <laughs> Did we um have we seen him? I know he was at Disney first weekends with the or for Star Wars Celebration, Orlando 2010 when we were there. But we didn't see him, like, in a panel or something at that celebration or at Galactic Nights, did we? No, but you have seen him at the 40th anniversary panel. Yeah, I wasn't going to bring it up. I know it's a touchy subject. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember at at the Galactic Nights – it's not Galactic Nights, but for like, oh, last tour to Endor. Yeah, last there were two shows yeah. of the Indiana Jones show, and the one that we didn't go to, George Lucas made a special appearance at. Yeah, remember I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. The one we went to had Mark yeah. Hamill, so was- yeah, which is great. But I still think I would have preferred to see George Lucas at that point. Whatever. At that point. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that is kind of crazy to think that that's really the first time that we've both seen him together, that close. Yeah, I wasn't close in the 40th panel. I was in in the back section. Um, but I don't know. I really – I hope he's happy. I hope he's happy and I hope he's proud of what he's done with his life um, because it is an, quite an amazing life. And I, I know that should that day ever come, when it does come, that at least you and I will – remember him for the things he wants to be remembered for. And I hope that other Star Wars fans will too because he's done so much for us as Star Wars fans and for the world as a filmmaker. All right. Well, on that kind of sappy note, I think we're going to end it um, here. Thank you guys so much for coming along on this By George series with us. It's been a lot of fun. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel where we have a playlist of all different kinds of By George interviews and clips and things like that. Um, you guys know where to find us at Sky Talkers Pod and our personal Twitters at Caitlin Plusher and at Clarity. And if you want to head over to iTunes, we just passed the 100 mark of reviews, which is so mind-blowing. Honestly, I can't believe it. But if you want to leave a review and help more people find the show, we would really appreciate it. 
Yes to everything Caitlin just said. Thank you guys so much for listening to our By George series. It has been a joy to go through George Lucas's like filmography and his life and talk about it with you. And um, I really appreciate you guys listening and getting to this part of the series. And with that, I just really want to thank our amazing patrons, Chuck, Brandon, Kirsty, Robbie, Connie, Derek, Adam, Edith, Tom, Lauren, Aaron, Chell, Molly, Matt, Serene, Shireen, Daz, Natalia, Allie, Angela, Delaney, Andy, Rebecca, Alyssa, Daniela, Katie, Travis, Sarah, Aliyah, Chastity, Kels, Ross, Danny, Jennifer, Kyle, Stuart, Megan, BJ, Suara, Jim, Kelly, Amy, Megan, Susanna, Brian, Courtney, Rachel, Katie, Lynn, Becca, Diana, Angela, Cherie, Terry, Joanna, Neil, and Amy. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. It means the world. Once again, thank you guys, as always, for listening. Don't forget to send in your Ahsoka um, recordings and messages about Ahsoka, and we will see you next time. May the Force be with you. May the Force be with you.